Could you stand with me in honor of God's word this morning? I don't know if you knew this, but the two most difficult things for preachers to preach on are money and Christmas. Money and Christmas. And I'm always praying every year that God would show me afresh and in an insightful way to minister the Christmas story. And I'm hoping and believing that there'll be some things that are shared today that maybe you've read. Maybe you've read countless times, but you didn't notice. Matthew 2, look at verse 1. It says, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose and we've come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem and Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Father in heaven, I ask that we would not lose Christ in the midst of Christmas celebration. Father, I ask that today we would not take Christmas for granted, but it would take on a deeper meaning, a greater meaning than ever before. And God, I thank you that it was this time of year that you began to work on my heart, drew me to you, changed my life, and Father, graced me to be standing today in a pulpit. God, thank you so much for the work that you do in each and every life, and thank you, Father, that these scriptures are going to come to life in fresh and exciting ways this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. You can be seated. 34 years ago this week, God began profoundly working on my heart and my life. I grew up as a rowdy on the west side of Grand Rapids and uh, was into drugs and I was promiscuous and I was just about anything that you can be. And key, um, key influencers in my life were removed out of my life. And God, in about a month's time, moved very, very rapidly in my life. And it was this week that God began to work on me. And this coming Sunday would be 34 years that I invited Jesus into my heart and I was forever changed. And I'm so grateful for that because I wouldn't be standing here today. I'd, I'd still be smoking weed and snorting coke and popping speed and smoking hash under glass and eating mushrooms and doing all the crazy, insane things that I used to do. I definitely wouldn't be standing up here. And if I was, you wouldn't want to be listening to me. But because I'm a life that's changed and because of what Jesus did in my heart and in my life, this time of year is it, it, it's, it, it's, it's more special. It, it takes on a greater emphasis and meaning for me because my heart began to soften. I was that hard, you know, hearted, you know, man, I've gone to church my whole life kind of guy. And God changed my life. And if he changed mine, he can change yours. And so let's look at this. And I believe we're going to see some things that um, not only are important, just because it's Christmas, but are relevant in these last days. Notice that it was King Herod, that he was the one who mentioned the Messiah. What a strange thing for an ungodly king to say. That could stem from the fact that Herod was aware of the prophecies concerning the Messiah, maybe. It could also stem from the fact that the wise men, when they came, they said, 
newborn king or the one born king, implying that Jesus was king now even at his birth. It's significant also to note that Matthew's gospel mentions Bethlehem more than any other gospel. Bethlehem meaning house of bread. And isn't it amazing that Jesus, who called himself the bread of life, was born in a city that was known as the house of bread. But for some deeper truths, go to Luke 2. And Lisa referred to it, but I want to look into it a little bit closer. Luke 2. You there? Luke 2, 8. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you'll recognize him by this sign. You'll find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven, and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. Here we have Jesus' birth first announced to shepherds. I don't know if you knew this, but shepherds were not liked. Shepherds were these leaders of these sheep. They own no property, and so they would just kind of walk across everybody's property with all of their animals, and they would leave a mess wherever they went. They were known as the dregs of society. They were the low, the low lifes. They were the lower class, and nobody was fond of shepherds. Nobody ever said, oh, look, the shepherds are here. Isn't it so adorable, them with all their animals? No, no, because they made a mess of everybody's land. Nobody wanted the shepherds on their property. And yet, and yet, these are the very first people that Jesus' birth was announced to. A modern-day shepherd was asked, why do you think that was so? Why do you think that the angels appeared in all of their radiance, in all of God's glory, to shepherds to announce Christ's birth first? And they said, because we're the most humble. Because we're the most humble. I've been to Israel, and I have gone to the Church of the Nativity, and you, you know, walk into the church in the nativity and you go down these stairs and you go into this room and there on the floor there is this silver star and you kneel down and you touch the place that no one really disputes where Jesus was born. But you may not know that to walk into the door of the church in nativity, it's not a large door like you would picture an old church having. It's a lower door. You have to bow down to walk in to the church of the nativity. Isn't it amazing that you have to humble yourself to walk into the very church that sits or was built upon Christ's birthplace? I think that's significant as well. Seems like humility, if you're looking for it, surrounds Christ's birth. Jesus wasn't born in a palace. He was born in a stable. He was born in a in a manger, and if you know what a manger is, it was an animal's feeding trough. It was usually made out of stone, cut out of stone. It was probably square. I've seen them, and I've seen old ones, and it had hay in it. So Jesus was placed in an animal's feeding trough. That's where he was born. Not all that glorious for the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. How humble Jesus' beginnings 
were. Yet the angel of the Lord appears to these lowly shepherds in radiant glory, accompanied by the host and armies of heaven. How powerful. Notice the announcement of the angel of the Lord. At the announcement of the angel of the Lord, Jesus has given three titles in the announcement of his birth, Savior, Messiah, and Lord. Savior, Messiah, and Lord. Older versions don't include Messiah. Don't include Messiah. So why would a newer rendering like the NLT, the New Living Translation that I'm reading from this morning, why would it include Savior and the older versions, King James, New King James, NAS, ESV, why would they not include Messiah? Because this announcement, these angels appearing to the shepherds, it's a messianic announcement. Notice that it says, for there is born to you this day in the city of David. Why not just say Bethlehem? Why not just say Bethlehem? Why city of David? Because it's messianic. It's a messianic announcement, and we'll see why that's so important. The Messiah we know was going to come through the lineage of David. Look at Luke chapter 1, verse 27, to see the significance, and I'm going to show you this in a couple different lights. Gabriel, God sent the angel, Gabriel, Nazareth, village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. See, if you're looking for it, you'll see it over and over and over and over again in Scripture. Anytime there is a scriptural reference to Jesus as Messiah, you're probably going to see King David's name mentioned there in some way, shape, or form. Remember in the weeks previous in our series, we've looked at the significance of the words, I am. When Jesus would say, I am, he was saying that, look, the very one who spoke to Moses out of the burning bush in Exodus 3 is speaking to you now. I am. I am. Or we looked at the word son of man and we talked about the significance of the son of man and how it really wasn't a reference to Jesus' humanity. It was a reference to Daniel chapter 7, the son of man. It was a declaration of Jesus' deity. It was a declaration of Jesus' God. The same God that was spoken of in Daniel's vision in Daniel chapter 7, the same God that spoke to Moses out of the burning bush is standing right here in front of you today. It was a declaration of Jesus' deity and his divinity. So the mention of David in regards to Jesus declares Jesus as Messiah. Let me show you this maybe in a couple different lights that you wouldn't notice. Go to Matthew 12 if you've got your Bibles with me or your electronic device. I just want you to know Bibles smell so much better. I mean, smell your digital device and now <laughs> smell this incredibly fine cracked leather right here. I don't understand why. I just don't get it. I, you're right. I can't put this in my pocket. But Matthew 12, look at 22, 22, 23. It says, then a demon-possessed man who was blind and couldn't speak was brought to Jesus and he healed the man so that he could both speak and see. The crowd was amazed and asked, could it be that Jesus is the son of David, the Messiah? Because of the healing that they had witnessed. Look at Matthew 9. A little to the left of where you are, Matthew 9. It's got to be a little slower on a digital device. I can just flip a page. Um, you'd, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Matthew 9. <laughs> 
Matthew 9. Look at 27. That's Matthew, M-A-T-T-H-E, I'm sorry. 9.27. says, after Jesus left the girl's home, two blind men followed along behind him shouting, Son of David, have mercy on us. They went right into the house where he was staying, and Jesus asked them, do you believe I can make you see? Yes, Lord. They told him, we do. Then he touched their eyes and said, because of your faith, it'll happen. And they were healed. Even the blind knew Jesus was the Messiah, son of David. What were they saying son of David for? They were declaring, you're the Messiah, the one that's come through the lineage of David. Even the blind knew who Jesus was. How many of you know that there are spiritual eyes that believers have. No wonder why scriptures like Ephesians 1.18 speaks of, may the eyes of your heart be enlightened. When I became a Christian and I asked Jesus into my heart, and I had experienced a lot of life by the time I was 20 years old. When I asked Jesus into my heart, I began to see things and I began to feel things that I had never seen or felt before. I began to grasp and I began to understand things that there was no way I'd have ever understood them before because the eyes of my heart were enlightened. Because now my heart could see, now my heart could feel like it never did before. And it was amazing to me. Old Testament references, you will see so many references to Jesus as Messiah if you're looking for him. One of Though such scriptures is found in Isaiah 11. I wanted to grab a scripture that maybe isn't so common. Isaiah 11. And oftentimes in my Bible, I'll, by those verses, I'll write, this is Messianic or, or this is Jesus that's being spoken about there. But in Isaiah 11, verse 10, it says, In that day, the heir to David's throne will be a banner of salvation to all the world. The nations will rally to him, and the land where he lives will be a glorious place. How many of you know that's speaking about Jesus? So why is it so important that Jesus be recognized as Messiah? Why is that so important? Why is it so important that Jesus' deity and and the fact that Jesus is God be, be known? Because that's the sticking point. That's the sticking point. And it's going to even be more so in the last days. Let me show you a couple references as to why. Go to Matthew 24. Matthew 24. And let's bring it into where we're living right now today. Anytime that you see Jesus speak from the Mount of Olives, it's always significant because how many of you know that When he ascended, he left the Mount of Olives, and the Bible says that he will return the same way that he left, that he will descend upon the Mount of Olives. It'll split. He'll walk through the eastern gate. So anytime you see Jesus speaking from the Mount of Olives, it's always significant, especially if the disciples, like they did in verse 24, are asking him questions concerning the end of the age. And so what's the first thing that Jesus says to him? Concerning the end of the age in Matthew 24, 4, Jesus told them, Don't let anyone mislead you, for many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah, and they will deceive many. 
In the last days, there are going to be many that are going to say, I'm the Messiah. You're seeing it today. You've got people like Jay-Z saying, I am the Messiah. Louis Farrakhan, I am the Messiah. You've got everybody claiming to be the Messiah. Jesus says, don't be misled. Don't be deceived. Deception, deception revolves around who Christ is. And if you don't acknowledge Jesus as Messiah, if you don't acknowledge Jesus as God, the apostle John was so strong about this. He said, anyone that denies that Jesus came in the flesh is of the Antichrist. John did not play. He didn't mince words at all. And here, here you have a very, very clear last days, end times reference, day and age that we're living in right now. And Jesus says, don't be misled. Many are going to come and say, I'm the Messiah. I'll show you this again in Mark Chapter 13, Mark 13. Look at Mark 13, 5. Jesus, again, speaking from the Mount of Olives. Peter, James, John, Andrew come to him privately and they ask him, how's this all going to go down? What's going to happen? How's this all going to be fulfilled? And again, Mark records Jesus replying, don't let anyone mislead you, for many will come in my name claiming I'm the Messiah. They'll deceive many. I just want to say this. First of all, when the Bible says many, it means many. There's going to be a lot that are going to claim to be the Messiah. And there's going to be this overall feeling like, you know, we've been hearing that for years. That's such an old message. No, it's a life-changing message. Because it's at the name of Jesus that lives are changed. It's not at the name of anybody that can claim to be the Messiah. I don't care how good their concerts are. They're not going to change your life. Everything revolves around Jesus Christ. Anytime that somebody shows up at my front door in a white shirt and a black tie and they want to argue doctrine or they want to argue scripture, I'll say, who is Jesus to you? Who, who, who is Jesus to you? Well, I, you know, believe he was a good teacher. He was a prophet. He was a, yeah, but that's not what he said. He said that he was God. He said that I am. He said that he was God. He said that he was the same one that spoke to Moses out of the burning wood. That's who he said he was. He didn't say any of this stuff. I said, I believe Jesus is God. What do you believe? And it can be real, real slick. Well, I believe he's the son of God, but I don't believe he's God the son. And I'll tell him that. Do you believe that he's God the Son, or do you just believe that he's the Son of God, which makes no sense to me? How can God beget anything that's not God? But see, that's, that's, the, that's the sticking point. And Pastor John, why is that so important in regards to heaven, or why is that so important in regards to eternity? Because if you know Jesus, you know the way. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If you know Jesus, you know the truth, and you're set free. Because Jesus, the truth, is personified. It's, it's, it's Jesus Christ, and it sets you free. He's the way, the truth, and he is the life. When I invited Jesus into my heart, he changed me. A life inhabited me that I had not known before. It's amazing how so many people believe that someone can be demon-possessed, but they don't believe that a believer can invite Jesus into their heart, and now their body be called a temple of the living God. 
But that's exactly what happens in the life of a believer. They invite Jesus into their heart and the eyes of their heart are enlightened and they now see and they now grasp and they now understand things that I didn't even notice nature like I did after I became a Christian. Man, I was smoking the plants. I wasn't enjoying, you know, the plants and stuff. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't even appreciate the beauty of everything that was around me. And all of a sudden I began to notice and all of a sudden I began to grasp and it was a different grasp than you could with a mind. It was like my heart was getting it. I, I, I got it. And I was feeling the presence of God and God was working in my life and I was reading a Bible that I had tried to read before I asked Jesus into my heart and now it was making sense because how many of you know I was seeing it with fresh eyes, eyes that were changed. And maybe you're here today because somebody invited you, or, or maybe you're here today because, you know, mom or grandma said, it's Christmas. You can at least come to church. That's the gift that I want from you. Come to church with me. But let's be honest. It all comes down to a decision that you made. And all my sister did was say, just come to church with us. I'll never ask you again. I can do that. What I didn't know was that I would be up till five in the morning snorting coke and was going to be really, really tired that Sunday morning. And that my 67 Camaro convertible and my dad's company car weren't going to start. I poured every penny I had into that car. There's no way it shouldn't have started. And my dad's company vehicle didn't start. I, I can't ever remember that happening again after that day. How many of you know the devil did not want me going to church? But my sister said, we'll come and get you. And I'm like, no, I don't know. Can I take a rain check? I was up real late. I had like two hours of sleep. I was up real late. My dad's waking up. I'm going to bed. Johnny, what are you doing? I'm going to bed, Dad. Remembered my commitment to my sister. Told her that I would go. So they come and get me, and I go. And the message that was preached, it, it got to me. So I had to go back again. It's kind of like golf. You just hit enough good shots to go back again. I don't know why it's like that. And the message got to me, and I had to go back again. And I had to go back again. And I had to go back again. And this coming Sunday, 1983, I invited Jesus into my heart, and I was forever changed. God called me into the ministry, and I'm standing before you today, or I'd probably still be on the west side of Grand Rapids somewhere with some job that's going nowhere and spending all of my money on partying. You're here today. You're in church because somebody asked you, but I believe God prompted them to ask you. And I want to challenge you today. It's not your, your mom, your dad, your grandma, your grandpa's commitment that's going to determine eternity for you. It's, it's your decision that's going to.